the words I want to uh, preach from this afternoon come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When, um, while you're turning there, uh, I'll tell you a story. When I was uh, first moved here to Tulsa, uh, planning a church, I didn't know if it was going to work. Nobody did. Oh, by the way, children are dismissed. I don't know what age. Take off. Y'all know, I don't. Just do the right thing. That's, that's the uh, key. So uh, when I was first here, uh, we had a prayer meeting at 6.30 in the morning at Bill Stitt's office. I remember that. I don't do mornings. That's not me at all. Like, that's as far from me as possible. And uh, I remember very, it may have started at 6. It started early. I think it started at 6.30. And that's about a 20-minute drive from my house. And I remember very clearly about the fourth time we did it, my alarm clock went off, and I was so tired, and I said, I just can't go. I'm not going. And, and my wife pushed me. She said, you got to go. And I said, I can't go. I'm not going. And she said, Ricky, it's your baby. You got to get up. And, and in saying that, she really, she seized on something, didn't she? She seized on something that you parents know. You can sleep through alarm clocks, but when you have that baby for the first time, you realize they don't come with snooze buttons. And if they're crying at 1 in the morning or 3 in the morning or 5 in the morning, they don't ask how late you stayed up last night. The only thing they know is they need to be fed, and the only thing you know is it's your baby. you got to get up. And she was right. And she was really seizing upon uh, the truth that's in this text from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul is describing the best church he planted. He planted some real, I mean, some terrible churches. You wouldn't want to have been in that church in uh, Corinth. It was a nightmare. And he planted some pretty good ones. You know, Philippians was sweet. But Thessalonians, he didn't have a single bad thing to say about it. And he says... You were my baby. You were my baby. Please stand as we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is my witness. Nor do we seek any glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the good news of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses, and God also. And how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and tar- charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, 
You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. And you may be seated. Paul exhorts us, uh, Shane, I wouldn't even go so far as to say he exhorts you to love your church like a mother and a father in the prayers that you'll see them respond like one of your children. These are precious words. They really are. And we don't get to preach the sermon much, but I got to finally. I've been wanting to for a long time, and it's so, they're so precious. The uh, N.T. Wright says these, these words should be carved in stone over every pastor's desk, or better, engraved in gold upon every pastor's heart. Love your church like a nursing mother loves her baby, like a father loves his children, and they will grow. Let's just talk, let's just play with this a little bit. Shane, have you ever thought of yourself as a nursing mother? It's odd. Let's just go. Let's just go. Let's just go there. It's odd. It's awkward. But there's something very precise about it. Actually, there's a lot of things precise about it. And it's really clear why Paul chose this text, uh, chose that image. Uh, First of all, a mother nurses hoping for nothing in return. I mean, I know the art, it's all pretty with, you know, the sweet mom holding her baby, baby looking lovingly up at mom. That is not how it works. It's tired mom at three in the morning, and it is a baby looking back at her like she was a lamppost. No recognition. There is, there, the baby's not paying for the milk. The baby's not saying thank you for the milk. The baby is not even looking at you affectionately for the milk. Your mom does it purely and solely out of sacrifice, hoping for nothing in return. And that's what, that's what Paul says. We, we, we could have made demands, but we didn't come to you for, for, out of greed. We didn't come to you even seeking glory. We came to you hoping for nothing just to give. Just to give. Not, not hoping for status not hoping for power, not hoping for the satisfaction of of feeling good about yourself, just to give that pure generosity of of giving of yourself. That's the the beautiful picture of the gospel, and it's the one that we we, we have to keep in mind that, that Jesus came for us not hoping for anything. <laughs> he came and he loved us like, like loving a, a, a pet without any hope of, of gaining anything in response. Just out of sheer grace and sacrifice. And there's just there's beauty in that and there's danger outside of that. I mean, I think if you really look at the, at the shipwrecks of the ministry all over our country, you see it. You see it almost immediately when people start doing ministry out of how it makes them feel. And it does feel good. 
They pay us pretty good. We're Presbyterians, for heaven's sakes. So we get paid pretty well. But we didn't really do it for the money. But it does feel good. Lying about that isn't helpful. But when you start doing ministry so that the people in your church make you feel good, it turns into this dirty manipulation. And they start telling you things about how great you are and you start turning your sermons around to kind of making them feel good about how great they are and it turns into this kind of self-congratulatory cancer. That's not you. And the Apostle Paul said, I didn't come seeking glory and I didn't come seeking money. I came to nurse you like a mother, not hoping for anything. And in in the midst of that picture of a nursing mother, we have this incredible, beautiful picture of gentleness. What does he say? We were gentle among you. We were gentle among you. I wonder how many pastoral search committees, when they're putting together their job description, put that at the top. Gentle. Gracious. Somebody who can handle my heart when my heart is being wrecked. Gentle among you. I, uh, I think the word gentle is fascinating. It's not weak. Somebody who's weak is unable to be gentle. If you watch a child try to carry glass bottles, they don't do real well. They're not strong enough to be gentle. And so they end up breaking them. There's a, there's a strength to gentleness. There's a knowledge to gentleness. You know how much... This container can, can stand. Um, there's a warmth. To me, the definition of gentleness is being able to walk into a room when everyone is at the brink of tears and you're able to say, it's okay, I'm here. And for some reason, they believe you. I had a, a doctor when I was in Cleveland, Mississippi. He, he practiced, he actively practiced medicine until he was 85. Sorry, Marsha, I'm not trying to set up a standard there. Uh, but he actively practiced till he was 85. He was a, a general practitioner, and he just had the most gentle hands. You could put anything in those hands, a broken arm, a broken foot, the, 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 just the, the most painful, the sorest of things, the thing that you were absolutely terrified of someone touching. You would sit it in his hands, and it would touch you with such knowledge and warmth, that it was as if those hands were magic. They made you feel better. Just the second he touched you, you knew, he knew what was wrong and what to do. Gentle. Like a nursing mother taking care of her children. Gentle, not not expecting anything in return. And the last thing he says here about a nursing mother that gets me is, we're anxious to share with you not only the gospel, but ourselves. We're we're anxious to share with you ourselves. Here we are. We we, we left it, you know, the old football saying, they left it on the field. There was nothing left. There wasn't just kind of here throwing you out this information. Now I got to go do something else. I'm giving you me. With each sharing of the gospel, with each explanation of Christ's sacrifice, I'm not just telling you something that's a piece of information that I heard over there and I want to share over here. I'm giving you myself. Here I am. 
You're, you're preaching what God has done inside of your heart. Our preaching is, is not something that we've learned that day. It's something that we've lived that year. It's, it is what God is doing in us. And that's what they remembered. That's what they took away. It was not just the words. It was the example. Go look, look ahead here down to verse 10. You are witnesses in God also of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. You know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you. That, like now he, he shifts. The, it's, it's beautiful without, with no apology. He goes straight from mom to father, right? And he says, like a father, we, you, you know what we were like. Oh, for more preachers who are willing to say that. You know? We, we have a way of ducking that one, don't we? We say, oh, only, only follow me as much as I follow Jesus. You know, I, I don't, don't look to me, look to Christ. No, Paul doesn't pull that. Over and over again, if you actually read the New Testament, he says this in every letter. You remember what I was like. Yeah. We have to say it, right? You know that. You know that. It's in, it's in, the, it's in your baptism vows. When you baptize your child, you say, what do you ask the parents? You say, are you going to live out before this child a godly example? And we're going to ask you right here in a few minutes when you take these vows, will you live out a godly example? Will you be willing to say to everyone in this room, yeah, watch me. If you don't understand what I'm saying, watch. That's what being a father is all about. Uh, I've got, a, I've got an old swimming pool with a vinyl liner that gets holes in it. You know that. And uh, it, gets whole, it never gets holes in July, when it's 100 degrees, and I want to get in the pool anyway, right? It gets holes in it. It starts leaking in January. And one January, it's like, oh, great. Like, there's somebody's got to get in there and fix the hole. All right? So I, I don't have any wetsuits on me. I put on my jogging pants. I put on a long sleeve sweatshirt, T-shirt. And it's like, all right, here we go. And I jump in. And I start inching my way along the wall to fix the, the hole on the wall. And Will, he was four years old at the time. I know that because he wasn't in school yet. And he looks at mom and he goes, what daddy's doing is like rule number five of being a man or something. <laughs> and he's kind of right. <laughs> if it needs doing, you do it. And what was he saying? He's saying, I, you know, I never really sat down with Will and explained these are the rules of being a man. Rule number five, jump in the swimming pool. But he was saying, the example is what I remember. It's the example that I remember. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I know you don't remember all the words I told you, but you remember what I was like. You remember me. I was there, and I was, I was showing you what godliness looked like as I was exhorting you. This is where we get from, from coaching, actually. Re- repeating myself over and over, telling you what it looks like to, to walk a manner worthy of God, to live your life, not, not just information, but to, to live, to practice, to, to do it over and over again. So that when you're, 
you're in the situation, when you're in a position where temptation is facing you or where you have the opportunity to sin or where you're not sure what to do, you do the right thing. You make a godly decision because it's how you've practiced. And I was there exhorting you and encouraging you and charging you over and over. And so... How did they listen? Therefore, since we were there being gentle with you, giving ourselves to you, living our lives out before you, living this example of godliness out before you, you received the word of God from us, not, not as, as the words of a person, not as words of a stranger, but, but as they really are, the word of God. That's a fascinating thing. It's, it's what's supposed to happen but it seldom does. It's what's supposed to happen. You know, when we... One of the, the, the things I love about the Presbyterian church is we have a, a very high view of preaching. Like what, What's going on right now when through the, the authority of the elders, someone who's been ordained, it's why we do all these silly steps. And I know they look silly at times, all the, the laying on of hands and the pronouncements and the, the blah bitty blah and the Look, I grew up in the country in Dresden, Tennessee. It's as weird to me as it is to you. But it's important. It's important because we believe that when an ordained person is standing behind this pulpit proclaiming God's word, it, it's... It's not just the reading of God's Word. It's the proclamation of the Word that truly is the Word of God. And you want it to be received as the Word of God, but it's not. Why not? Because I don't know you. Especially when you first hear it, it's just weird. And you're like, this guy just wants to walk in. He doesn't know me. And he's going to tell me how to spend my money. And he's going to tell me what to do with my sexuality. And he's going to tell me how to raise my children. Who is this guy? And you come and you live with them. We were with you. That's that's this this incarnational principle that, that Jesus didn't just send his word. God didn't just send his word out. He, God came and lived with us. And he sent his apostles out to the cities to live with them. And the apostles laid hands on the church, and the church has laid hands upon you to come and live with the people of Ethos so they can watch you, so they can feel your love, so they can feel this gentle ministry and they can look at you and go well he's not saying i mean what he's saying is is dangerous i mean if if he's just trying to tell us what to do so he can have power over us that would be very dangerous but he's not doing it for himself he's not doing it for fame he's not doing it to gain power he's not doing it for money he's just giving himself and they begin to trust you And they see how your life is being transformed. And they become imitators. And then and only then are they ready to receive God's word from you as the word of God. 
They see your, your humility, that you are someone who knows that he's been forgiven, and therefore you are someone who is, being, who is in the process daily of forgiving. And your way of life shows that you actually believe that this is the word of God. So that they're able to receive your words, not because you're uh, eloquent, not because you're uh, a good arguer, not because you're intelligent, not because you're persuasive, but, but because you believe it. And because the Holy Spirit is coming out of that. And they accept it as God's word. There's an old... Uh, so I never, ever end a sermon with a poem, ever. This might be the first time ever. I just want you all to know, this is a one-off. But if N.T. Wright can quote it, I can steal it, right? And he said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I would rather one walk with me than merely show me the way. The eye is a better student, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but an example is always clear. This church will become imitators of you before it becomes molded by you. Don't we worry? God's at work in you. And He's going to complete the work He started. He is at work in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. And in order for this to not, in order for this to not overwhelm you, you got to trust Him. Same way, the exact same way you had to when your 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 firstborn son was put in your hands and you were terrified. You remember how terrified you were. And somewhere deep in your heart, you had to believe that not only did God give me this child because he loves me, but God gave this child me because he loves him. You have to believe that. And you have to believe that God gave ethos you. The God who loves Ethos so much that he gave his own son for it, gave them you because he loves them. Please pray with me.